Now, Nehemiah was, a, was an amazing man. He truly was. But he got angry and he was very upset. But he reacted correctly. Did you know you can react wrongly when you're angry? Well, we'll talk about that and more as we continue this study of Nehemiah chapter 5 in about five minutes time. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, taking you through the Bible, the world's oldest and best-selling book. And I would encourage you to join us. Corey and Ryan are here, Corey. Well, we know from the book of Nehemiah that Nehemiah's goal was to rebuild the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. But what would that have practically looked like on the ground? We're going to find out today. Ryan? Today, a question. How many Israelites from each family returned from Babylon? Well, the list recorded in Ezra doesn't match the list recorded in Nehemiah. So I'm going to be responding to this problem a little bit later on. They're coming up in 20 minutes. Janice in 25, what's going on? Pray and work. All right, let's open up the Bible and hear God. Nehemiah 5, 1 through 9. And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. For there were those who said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, We have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. There were also those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. And I became very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, Each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them, and I said to them, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren? Or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. Then I said, What you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Nehemiah chapter 5, 6 and 7, three chapters today as we continue reading through the Bible. I, I love the book of Nehemiah. I love the book of Esther. I love the book of Ezra, and that's really good too. Now, when we become Christians, our values change. What? It's not cultural. It changes. Our lives change. Or the one hand, or on the one hand, rather, this is the greatest asset because we need to allow righteousness of God, the rightness of God, the creator of all things that is right and good. We need to allow him to change our lives. On the other hand, it is a difficult transition 
as we wrestle with God and as people around us wrestle with changes in our lives. So when we become a Christian, it's not necessarily easy. Now, there is a danger of our human culture as well, as it tempts us to forget our commitment to God for its lifestyles of sin. See, the culture of sin is all around us. We read God's word to keep us close to his paths. Now, this is a truth that Nehemiah understood. Now, in our reading today, we discover some of the problems that were happening with God's people. The world got into their soul and made trouble. Nehemiah confronts the people controlling his anger and moving in a calculated way. This way, when Nehemiah does confront the people, they respond well because he confronts them righteously. <laughs> very important whenever we confront people these days, it's not very righteous, is it? It's just a lot of anger. But Nehemiah teaches us and shows us these things. And we read it in the Bible, the Word of God. Take your Bible guide and turn to it today. And if you don't have a Bible guide, my question is, why not? You should get a Bible guide. Uh, write to us or call to us, ask for one, or go online at BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on it. It'll take you to a donate page for any amount. Make a donation and you can download it exactly how we print it. So you're seconds away from the trouble of following God. And it's a very interesting passage because most people try to present Christianity as, oh, just get saved and you'll be great for the rest of your life. Hold on a minute. There is a cost in being saved by Christ because this world is not. It's going in one direction. And when we are saved, we're pulled out and we look at Jesus. The world is looking at Satan and we're looking at Jesus. It's very important. And Father, today we pray as we look at Nehemiah chapter five, that you would teach us your way and show us your paths. Help us to understand and help us to know the difference between living for the Lord and living for the world. Help us, Father, and help us to get it today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Nehemiah five, verses one through five. Here's what it says. And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. What? Uh-huh. There was a great outcry of the people and their wives against the Jewish brethren. For there were those who said, we are sons and our daughters are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. And there were also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. And there were also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's taxes on our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children, as their children. And indeed, we are forced or forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been bought or brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them. For other men have our lands and our vineyards. Wow. The Jewish people are struggling severely. They're already struggling. And Nehemiah hears their complaints. This is in the Bible we're reading this. You see, struggles in life will come. We have a good father to cry out to. Now, I need you to understand that they're crying out because people are grabbing and usury and using them and loaning money to them and charging high interest rates in the whole business. They're making money. 
money, money, money. It's so funny. It's a rich man's world. Well, I'll tell you, we need to pay attention to this because if we're not careful, we'll get lost as well. We need to hear this because Nehemiah carries on and says this, and I became very angry when I heard their outcry and these words, Nehemiah says. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers. I said, stop it. I said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them. And I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now, indeed, will you even sell your brethren? Or should they be sold to us? And then they were silenced and they found nothing to say. Nehemiah was angry, but he responded in a right way. Beloved, we too must act and react in righteousness rather than our anger and our emotions. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of folks who are demonstrating and reacting in today's world. We don't need to demonstrate and protest and react with anger and just throwing signs around and beating people up. That's, what, what are we doing? We need to pay attention to our thought and we need to get our lives right. And we need to say, Lord, we have some trouble. We have to get this straight because this is not working. That's what we need to do. We need to put some serious thought into this. That's important. Now let's go back to the scripture, Nehemiah 5, verse 9. Here's what it says. And then I said, what you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? Huh. Nehemiah reminded the Jewish people that they were Jewish. They were God's people. As for us, we are Christians. We must treat people the way God has responded to us with truth, love, and mercy. So when we are going to go demonstrate this and demonstrate that, and hold on, truth, love, and mercy. See, God calls us to react to people and abusers very carefully. And I just think that we need to pray and ask the Lord, do we really need to do that or do we need to become part of the solution? Now, I know there's a lot of people who are listening to me who are really stirred up about this right now. The only thing I can say is we just need to pray about it. Don't listen to me. We know what the Bible says. Let's pray and let's ask God to show us. So, Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit right now would come into our hearts and show us the truth, the love, and the mercy of God, that we can react properly, you know, not go off half steamed off to people, but react properly and carefully to be able to solve the problems, Lord. This is what we need to do. Help us to do that, Lord, because we are your people. We serve you. Help us to serve you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen. But a lie is when somebody tells you, I know how you'll be happy, you buy this hairspray and you're going to be happy. 
You smell like this flower, you're going to be happy. You take this drug, you're going to be happy. You buy this car, you're going to be happy. See, it all tells me I'm going to be happy. No, I'm not. That's not how this works. The truth is that I am not happy until I find the purpose of why I exist. My purpose for living. So as I was saying at the introduction of the program, the book of Nehemiah tells us that Nehemiah's goal in coming back to Jerusalem was to rebuild the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. And we're told that he managed to accomplish this goal in an incredibly short period of time, in just 52 days. But what would this wall have looked like then, practically on the ground? How would that have worked even? Well, let's take a look. The biblical book of Nehemiah records the rebuilding of Jerusalem's city wall in about 445 BC. By this time, exiles who were taken in the Babylonian conquest had already been allowed to return to their homeland and had rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. All that was left was to build the city's walls and gates, hopefully replenishing its population. Once Nehemiah was on the case, the Bible records the wall was up in only 52 days. An impressive feat, considering it would have been at least six and a half feet wide, spacious enough for a procession of people to march along it to dedicate their work. The building process included different people building individual sections of the wall. These sections would have been seamlessly integrated into the sections built on either side. The people would have had to work closely with one another. Jerusalem's new wall had 11 gates and several defensive towers built right over top of the old wall. But just like the new temple, most experts believe both on the Bible's description and archaeological remains that this new wall was not as impressive as the old one and enclosed a much smaller area. Jerusalem before the exile had grown to incorporate a large territory to the west of the original city of David. This wall, referred to as the Broad Wall, was built by King Hezekiah. It appears, however, that the wall of Nehemiah left this part of the city out. It would have added a huge area of wall to build and simply wasn't needed at the time. Amazingly, though Jerusalem has been rebuilt many times since, archaeological evidence for Nehemiah's wall has been unearthed. Several sections have been identified, including in a recent excavation in the area believed to have held King David's palace. During preservation efforts, archaeologist Alat Metzar was able to excavate under and around the remains of a defensive tower and section of Nehemiah's wall. This confirmed that they were a part of Nehemiah's wall. It it also confirmed Nehemiah's timeline of 52 days. The wall was not well constructed, evidence of hasty work. Though it's lasted millennia, its stones are unfinished and roughly pieced together. I love this, that a section of Nehemiah's wall still exists, first of all, but then was able to be identified and that, you know, it, it shows evidence of hasty construction. It wasn't the best constructed wall ever, but hey, it's lasted this long. So I'm still impressed with it. Well, I think everybody is. Yeah, that's good. Uh, just real quickly, this is a set of sermons, five sermons, and we have other sermons on here from the past when I used to preach audio sermons, but the five sermons I take in the studio for you. And this is called, the whole total is called the return. And that we're in a world that there's a lot of shift and a lot of changes. And it's very concerning for some people. So we did this for you and this is our gift. And uh, a suggested donation is $30 or more. You can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com 
write us or call us and you can get it there as well. So it's called The Return and it's a set of five sermons. Very good, Ryan. All right, well, today I want to discuss a potential problem found between the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. See, both books contain a record or list of the Israelites who returned to their homeland after their 70 year captivity in Babylon. But the problem is that the list recorded in Ezra doesn't match the list given in Nehemiah. And the big question is, why not? Well, let's study. Those who seek to undermine the authority of the Bible as God's word claim that the Holy Scriptures are littered with errors, inconsistencies, and contradictions. While no such mistake has ever yet been proven to the satisfaction of a court of law, the skepticism still persists. For example, critics ask how many Israelites from each family returned from Babylon. The list recorded in Ezra chapter 2 contradicts the list recorded in Nehemiah chapter 7. In Ezra 2 and Nehemiah 7, there are about 33 family units that appear in both lists. Of these 33, there are 14 that differ in their count, ranging all the way from one person to more than 1,000 persons. How then are these discrepancies to be resolved? In order to answer this question, several considerations must be made. First, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah were written at different times and in different places. Jamieson, Fawcett, and Brown elaborate. The discrepancy is sufficiently accounted for from the different circumstances in which the two registers were taken, that of Ezra having been made up at Babylon, while that of Nehemiah was drawn out in Judea after the walls of Jerusalem had been rebuilt. The lapse of so many years might well be expected to make a difference appear in the catalog through death or other causes. Indeed, some could have died or have had a change of heart between the time that they registered and the time they arrived. Alternatively, there could have also been last-minute recruits who were not recorded in Ezra's register. In short, while Ezra's register represents those people who had intended to return home, Nehemiah's register represents those people who actually arrived. Something else to consider is that even if the two lists had been recorded at the same time, we might still expect some differences if they each classified family lineage by different criteria. For example, the Ezra list might use legal ancestry, while the Nehemiah list uses biological ancestry. That would inevitably lead to numerical differences. A third consideration should also be kept in mind, and that is the difficulty of preserving complete accuracy in the copying out of numerals. Numbers are very difficult to verify, and if the original record was worn, smudged, or worm-eaten, it would be very easy for the copyist to produce inaccurate numbers. Even if, however, it turned out that some of these figures are inaccurate, this still does not constitute a true biblical error, since an error in the copy of a text isn't the same as an error in the source text. In conclusion, far from demonstrating a contradiction, the numerical differences demonstrate the authenticity of Ezra and Nehemiah, showing that they were indeed written at different times, during which different numbers of people had made the journey. So as you can see, there really are no problems here. When you realize that the records given in these two books were recorded at different times in history, and that these genealogical records could have been classified by different criteria, then you expect the differences. As a matter of fact, these differences demonstrate the authenticity of Ezra and Nehemiah, showing that they were indeed written at different times during which different numbers of people had made the journey. Fascinating. It is fascinating. And it, it, when you begin to understand that the Bible 
Uh, there, there are many books of the Bible, 66. And uh, some of the books are written at different times in different places. And you put it all together and you realize the Bible has one consistent theme. That mm-hmm. is amazing. It really is amazing. How yeah. God has done that from, from all these different authors. Mm-hmm. That's and, one of the, I mean, that's one of the uh, trademarks of the Bible and the authenticating factors is that you have all these books written over thousands of years, people from all different backgrounds, and yet it all carries the same theme. Yeah. And that's well, that can only be the Holy Spirit of God. Well, absolutely, because he lives generation to generation. You know, generations uh, come and go, but he stays. Yeah, for sure. He stays, and that's very interesting. So the Holy Spirit today is the same Holy Spirit it was during that time. Mm-hmm. And so that that really kind of puts it together for us. Okay, Janice? Well, today I titled my segment, Pray and Work. And although Rod focused on Nehemiah 5, I went back and and reread uh, four, then reading into five so that it had context, better context for myself. But we have here in chapter four, the wall defended against the enemies. And, And we read here the direction that the people and Nehemiah went. And and really in my notes, I have, we read in chapter four of Nehemiah, the intensity of the work to build the wall in Jerusalem and the great opposition against the people of Israel who were building that wall. And I talked a little bit about that um, on a show a couple of days ago. Now, Nehemiah and his people demonstrate to us a pray and a work attitude to seek God's blessing and to seek God's protection while working with the strength that God gave them to accomplish the task to build the wall and all the things that they prayed for. And I think it's a really great lesson again for us today as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, our fight today is not a physical one, but it's a spiritual one. And there still is a battle. And our, the, the weapons that we choose to use are all in uh, the spiritual. You can read about the armor of God that we should be putting on every day in Ephesians uh, chapter six. So that's a very important chapter. But you know, in hard times and circumstances, it's very important to be there for one another. And we see that there is work that they're doing together. They are united in the, the plan and the goal that they have to rebuild the wall and even more of a determination when opposition comes in. And they have, you know, they're building the wall and in one hand they have their tool, in another hand they have their weapon, they're ready to go. Nehemiah has a, 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 a person beside him that blows the trumpet so that in case anything happens, they can be rallied together in a moment's notice with the blowing of the trumpet, which I also find very fascinating, but I won't get into that today. So let's review this again. In hard times and circumstances, it is so important to be there for one another, especially the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer and in practical ways. We see that demonstrated here. And this truly is how we demonstrate the love of God to one another and to the world around us. You know, on this program, if you're new to watching this program, towards the end of the program, we have a segment called uh, called Prayer. And we take your prayer requests that you write in or email in, and we put them on the screen for 
anyone who is watching to be able to join together in prayer and take it to God in prayer. Now, you know, Rod, I've I've had this discussion with you before, and you, Ryan and Corey, you know, casual conversations about just the power of prayer that we have seen, and and just in in this week. Now, you know, we have pre-recorded these programs, but in this week, we have seen many things within our family. Um, very uh, life-threatening situations that God has really stepped in and brought miraculous outcomes um, for for some of our family members. And it has been amazing. Now, why God, who can choose to do anything that he wants, um, encourages our participation in that fascinates me. It really fascinates me because he allows us, he gives us the opportunity to be involved with him in conversation with him, but also to be involved in the lives of others. And so much what that does is when we come to God in prayer, and it's not all about what I want, I want, I want. It's about praying for others. It's about praying for the persecuted church, which means worldwide, because the church is not a building. The church is made up of people who follow the Lord Jesus Christ, who are committed to following the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we look at our brothers and sisters around the world and we think of their circumstances in comparison to our circumstances, a lot of the things that we complain about are really very insignificant in comparison. Mm. And yet God is so faithful to hear us. And he not only hears us, not only sees us and knows us, but his hand is always moving. Mm. And I, I just find that absolutely amazing. And seeing that here, that these people were determined to accomplish the task that was ahead of them, and that their first goal was to make sure that they prayed to God to have his covering and to be ready. The God of the Bible is an, an amazing God because you know he's not, um, he calls us to do things. Uh, for example, in James chapter five, it says, is anyone sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing with oil. That's doing something mm-hmm. with prayer. And so if, if you feel called to do something with prayer according to the Holy Spirit, then we need to do that. Mm-hmm. And so that's very important. And we, we do that and uh, we go forward. So let's focus now on our prayer time and listen carefully and pray for these people. Thank you for praying with us today as we focused on Nehemiah. I am respecting his ability to do this properly, to stop and react properly. It's easy to act like a Christian, hard to react like one. 
And let's pray. Father, today, all of us, me included, we need to have your Holy Spirit in our lives to teach us how to react properly. Help us, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, that's what we pray. Amen.